You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hello. Yep, we're both here, like always. Today, we are going to talk about a very basic concept that we haven't ever tackled before, but it's basically the idea of how do you know how much stock is worth? And it's a much more complicated question than you would think, but obviously there's going to be some complications there. And it's not necessarily something we can, well, it's not something we can predict, but it's something we can understand a little bit better, which I think can be really helpful, especially if that's something that you want to try out or if we just want to think about why is this maybe not a good idea? Sometimes we skip really far ahead, but today we're just going to back up and go into that basics. Um, I think a lot of times it's just like, let's invest. Let's put it in there. Let's see what happens. Let's give it long enough and it'll be okay. But when you invest in the stock market, what are you investing in? Like, what are you actually buying? And how do you know it's really worth anything? And that's a, a big question, I think, for a lot of people. But other people don't care at all. <laughs> And I think that there's both of those peoples in the investing world. So we're just going to go into it a little bit just to provide some more detail. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between investing in the overall market and investing in individual stocks. You know, an individual stock, trying to predict what a value per share should be of a company's stock is a lot different than, you know, the aggregate value of all the companies in the market or in whatever index you're looking at. Um, But still, you know, some of all parts, essentially, um, but yeah, I think this all started from your nephew, right, Rochelle? Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, actually, but over a holiday dinner, um, my nephew and I, who's, he's brilliant, by the way, but we got into a fairly heated conversation. He's like 16 <laughs> and he was basically insisting that the world was going to be taken over by cryptocurrency, that no other financial stuff would really matter, that the U.S. stock market was going to collapse because of cryptocurrency, because cryptocurrency would be king at some point. Which, what? I mean, those are two entirely different things. And the fact that he didn't even know that those were two entirely different things was a little astounding to me. But again, he's 16. He's He knows a, a lot about certain things and has taken no time at all to learn anything basic about other things. So, I mean, cryptocurrency aside, again, entirely separate conversation, the stock market itself and values of stock is based on investing in very real companies that sell products and provide services for a cost. So there's actual things (laughs) that are transpiring behind the purchase of a stock. It's not just we're investing in this company because we think someday it's going to be worth money or like it's not all on paper. There are actual things that are changing hands behind the scenes. And we invest in companies and so we can own a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of that company so we can participate in the returns of those businesses. Sometimes, you know, 
that company has value because it's earning money and maybe they even give you a little bit of that money. Other times it's like, we think this company is going to keep growing. We think the stock price is going to go up. So we're going to go into a few of those basics. But realistically, a lot of this, you know, we agree that things have value because someone is willing to pay you a price for it and you're willing to sell it for that price. So that's a huge part of it as well. But there's there's actual stuff going on. Like there's products, there's services, like Amazon is shipping things in trucks and, you know, you're paying at the grocery store for your groceries, like all of these things play into it as well. Yeah, for sure. And there's kind of two, well, how do I phrase this? So the value of a stock in the short term, I think is largely driven by human emotions and what they're feelings are around the company, their expectation of what that company's short-term earnings or earnings growth will be. Um, whereas in the long run, it all gets down to fundamentals. Is the company making money? If the company is making money and or growing in size, then that's going to drive the long-term value of the stock. Uh, but short-term, it's anyone's guess. You know, that's where I think a, a, a fun book to read that, that it, it's almost a pessimistic view on the stock market, but I believe it's called um, The Number, which is uh, basically about how stocks, um, you know, the most important number of all the different statistics and variables is analysts' expectations of quarterly earnings growth and whether the, the stock value meets or falls short of or exceeds that analyst expectation. That's going to, you know, cause those short-term pops or, you know, dips every quarter, you know, whether or not they met or exceeded expectations. Um, but yeah, long-term, if companies making money, like you as an owner will also make money. That's, that's how the game works. Um, but getting a little bit into the weeds here, uh, like we've already talked about when you buy a stock, you're hoping to participate in the potential growth and profits of the business. And, you know, a mutual fund manager is doing this, you know, selecting, you know, different companies to look at, uh, or to invest in, uh, there's a zillion different metrics you can analyze when it comes to valuing a stock. Um, a common one that's relatively easy to understand is the PE ratio, the price to earnings ratio. And some could argue it's a rather outdated metric to look at, um, based on historical norms, but regardless, it, it's still a, 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 a decent one to consider. Um, you take the price per share of stock divided by the earnings per share. So if there is, you know, 4 million shares outstanding, whatever the total earnings of the company are divided by 4 million, that's the earnings per share. And then you have the price per share. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, you know, pretty simple. So how much do you pay for each dollar of earnings for that company and companies that have higher PE ratios are, expected to be growing more you know more people are willing to pay money pay more for each dollar of that company's earnings because they expect that earnings growth to rise whereas companies with a lower pe ratio might be considered to be of of more value you know hey i only have to pay six dollars uh per share um or you know for this company's 
uh, you know, earnings growth, whereas Amazon is like $200 per share or whatever it is. Um, so, so it, you know, it doesn't necessarily, a low PE ratio doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad company to invest in. It could be a great opportunity because the market thinks it's undervalued and you could, you know, get in at a, a, a good price, but it also might mean there's just not a ton of earnings growth and maybe they, you know, pay investors via dividends more heavily than they do in terms of growth. So, and if we're looking at averages, like right now, a lot of financial services companies, you know, big banks and whatnot are, are, are having a rough time um, with, you know, the recent rise in interest rates. Um, but uh, is this historical averages you put in here, Rochelle, or is this the no, current No, it's number? like a current one. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I thought. Okay, yeah. So yeah, financial yeah. services, you know, like the, the large banks of the world, you know, their stocks are trading at a PE ratio of about five. Uh, whereas the tech industry is trading at a PE ratio of about 43. So you're paying $43 for every dollar of earnings that a tech company generates. Whereas in financial services, you know, banks, institutional uh, companies and whatnot, you're paying $5 for every dollar of their earnings. You know, much better ROI with the financial services, you know, apples to apples, but the expectation is these tech companies are going to grow a lot more than the financial services companies. And the, you're banking on that, that company's, the stock value going up more so than you are um, profits, if right. that makes sense. So there's two <laughs> ways with stock ownership that you can actually make money. One is that you invest in a stock and they issue dividends to the stockholders, basically. So a dividend is you taking part in that profit. So the, the company generates profits. They don't need to necessarily reinvest it in their own company and continue to grow. So they distribute those profits to their shareholders. And a lot of people think of this as like that passive income. So when people are looking for passive income in their investments, a lot of times it might be like interest payments for bonds, it might be dividends from stock purchases and things like that. But most of the time we don't actually see that money. Usually, especially if we're in like the growth phase of our savings, we have those dividends reinvested. And when the dividends are reinvested, that allows our portfolio to grow a little bit more. So that's one way that you can earn money by owning stock. Um, and that happens more frequently with a lot of companies that have lower PE ratios, which is kind of weird. Like. We're paying less as in terms of like that price per earnings that the company has and we're giving getting some dividends. But the reason that we're paying less for that stock and that that stock is maybe seen as having a little bit less value is because the other way you can make money by owning stock is if the stock price goes up and now we sell and now we have locked in a capital gain. So if you own a share of stock, which a lot of growth companies, they tend to grow over time more quickly. And so now if we own the share of stock, if the stock price goes up, if we sh like sell out of that stock and now we have that capital gain, we've made money as well. So it's like, you know, what, what thing do you think is more reliable? What thing are you aiming for? Do you want something that's, you know, more related to like what's actually happening behind the scenes? Or are you just investing for the sake of that potential future growth and that stock price appreciation? And the answer is that most people do both. You know, and maybe not always across the board. Some people may lean more heavily into those value stocks because they really like the dividends. They really like the passive income. Some people are like, I just want my portfolio to grow. I'm going to lean on these growth stocks really heavily. But again, I think diversification can be really helpful. So most people own a little bit of each in their, in their portfolios as a whole, especially if we're aiming for just a little bit of less risk and some additional diversification. 
Yeah, and historically, the value versus growth argument or debate, um, you know, value and growth stocks historically have performed about the same, but they're often mirror images of each other if you're looking at a graph. Years where growth stocks are doing well, usually value stocks are lagging behind and vice versa. You know, there'll be periods where growth stocks aren't are struggling and value stocks are, are doing well. The last, call it decade, large growth companies have driven the majority of the U.S. stock market returns and, you know, recency bias. A lot of people say, well, why would I invest in these value companies or these small companies or, or anywhere else? Why not just large growth? Um, as of late, that's worked well. Moving forward, who knows? It's anyone's guess. Like if we were recording this podcast 15 years ago, we'd be talking about emerging market stocks as the place to be. U.S. stocks are dead. You know, 2000 to 2000 and through, through 2009, it was the lost decade where literally U.S. stocks started and finished at the same spot. There was, you know, not counting for dividend reinvestments, there was zero growth in the stock market during that period. Now, when you zoom in, there was a growth spurt, a big decline, another growth spurt, Big decline, or I guess it started off as a decline and then a growth spurt, uh, but neither here nor there. Um, you just never know moving forward what's going to do well. That's why we want to be diversified. Um, now, we talked about dividends versus growth. You know, what are we shooting for? What's more important? You know, to each their own. Um, one element that makes this all fun and exciting is human nature. Um, can't control human nature, you know, so, uh, some amount, and this is where I talked in the short term at the beginning of this episode, you know, some amount of a stock price is real is, uh, well, I guess the whole value of a stock is, is really determined by supply and demand. You know, are there buyers and sellers, you know, where do they meet in the middle? What's the agreed upon price? Um, if there's more buyers than sellers, the price is going to go up. If there's more sellers than buyers, the price is going to go down. That's economics 101 until it finds that equilibrium where the buyers and the sellers agree, you know, and, and they meet at that point. And that changes by the second on, in the stock market, if anyone's, you know, paid attention um, to that. But uh, um, things that can affect this news cycle the you know what's going on in the world people's sentiments we'll get into it in a little bit about i think the gamestop saga you know you could get a whole you know bum rush of people that are all in on one company and that can influence the stock price you get some you know bad news headlines a corporate scandal um you know accounting issues like weather you know, if there's a big even point. economic conditions too. You know, if yeah. the economy is doing poorly, if inflation is high, like even if it doesn't really affect the performance of a specific company, it might affect the whole stock market. The whole stock market may go down, and most of the companies with it. You know, yeah, the consumer sentiment, um, which you know changes with the wind. So that's the a really hard to to predict element. But and where I mentioned earlier in the short term. You know, that's going to influence the stock price a lot. Whereas in the long term, if the company's making money, their stock's going to do all right. Yep, absolutely. I think we want to go through a couple of examples of where this didn't play out the way that most investors would have thought, you know, or, or the way that like the data shows. Like if we're looking at numbers, what do we think is going to happen? And then something completely different happens. So GameStop that Corey just mentioned is a, is a great example because like the whole stock market 
was guessing that GameStop was just going to fail. Like it was not doing well. There were a lot of big players in the stock market that were betting against GameStop. We think that this company is going to go under. We think the price is going to keep going down. And then there was just this one person on the internet that was like, you know what? I think GameStop is going to do really well. And I think that we should be buying GameStop, not selling GameStop. So let's all buy it together. And he got a big enough audience and enough people started to say it that it became what's now known as a meme stock. I'm pretty sure that GameStop was like the, the beginning of meme stock. Is that your Them understanding? Or AMC and Something little like sidebar, that. what Rochelle just described is illegal. So do not go. <laughs> not telling you to do it. Yeah, do not go on <laughs> online forums and hype up a company stock because if you are successful in doing this, you'll find the SEC knocking on your door and at the very least probably have a big fine to pay. Uh, at the worst, spend some time in prison. Yeah, so lots of drama. That was my next bullet point was like this whole thing was loads of drama every step of the way. But yes, everyone coordinated buying this stock so that the price went through the roof. It basically started at about a dollar a share in March of 2020. And then everyone started buying it. In early 2021, internet forums started picking up. Everyone started talking about it. And the price actually shot through the roof and peaking at a little more than $80 a share. You know, so that that's 80 times what the original price was. And then, you know, as the SEC started cracking down, as all of these other things started happening, that price started to drop. People realized, okay, this is probably not a good strategy. And the, the price dropped to $10 a share in February of that same year. Um, and then it spiked back up to $60 a share. I don't know, like every step of the way, exactly what happened. But there was a lot of just people joining in. And it became a thing where like they didn't even need to hear it from a specific person. It was on the news, you know. It was like everyone was talking about it. Now everyone wants to buy it because everyone wants to do this thing that someone else did that they made a bunch of money and. And it was crazy, you know, it just didn't make any sense because it had nothing to do with GameStop at all. It had nothing to do with GameStop about like how that company was doing financially, whether they were going to make profits in the future. It was just who's going to buy this, who's going to sell this. It's becoming really popular to buy it. And then now it's trading around $14 a share. So it's still significantly higher than when it bottomed out. And I think that there's you know, there's lots of people on both sides of this that are like, oh, they're going to do better now just because they got so much attention. It was like, you know, maybe no news is good news sometimes, but also free publicity is great. So GameStop got a lot of that out of all this whole drama. So that that happened as well. So it's, you know, there's so many things that are out of our control. And, you know, we <laughs> a lot of people that participated in this lost a lot of money, too. You know, like you get really excited about something. You see that this price went from a dollar to $80 a share and you're like, it's going to keep going up and you buy at 80 and then it sinks down to 40 and now you're like, okay, now I have half the money that I had before. And so you can, there are games people play in the stock market all the time, day trading and things like that, but there are lots of losers. You just hear about the winners more. And so I think that's important to keep in mind also. And this is a perfect example of different games being played in the stock market that you alluded to, Rochelle. I, think, I don't know if it's Morgan Housel that's mentioned before. The stock market is a place where people come together. People who are playing different games with different rules all come together and are playing on the same playing field. And it drives people nuts 
because oftentimes what happens goes against conventional wisdom. But this perfect example, like a long-term investor has zero business investing in GameStop because like, if you're familiar with GameStop, you could argue there's zero reason why they should even be in business still. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the death of the, the shopping mall type of analogy. You know, you can order your games online, you can digital downloads, like the, like buying video games or other games at a actual retail store. It's, you know, it doesn't make sense in today's day and age. Um, but you know, the company could, I don't follow them closely enough, but they I'm sure could pivot and find ways to continue to thrive as a business potentially, but neither here nor there, you've got long-term investors and you've got day traders and the people participating in this meme stock craze. It's like, they don't care if a company is profitable, if the company is making money, what their, what their business operations is. All they care about is if someone else, a few hours or a few days later, or even a few minutes later is willing to pay more per share than they bought the stock for. Like if I can buy it at $60 a share and sell it to you this afternoon at $62 per share. And if I can repeat that over and over and over and over and over again, I'll make a lot of money. You know, if I can just bank a $2 a share profit in a matter of hours, um, that's a good way to make some money. It's also a good way to lose some money if it goes the other direction. So, but you have different people playing different games, high frequency trading, uh, and it's not a, a, a matter of, you know, what's this company actually worth? It's a trying to predict the supply and demand. Is there going to be more demand than supply? And are people willing to pay more than this? It's kind of like flipping houses, you know, that I think has lost some, some favor recently just due to, you know, real estate prices and interest rates. But, um, you know, 10 years ago, it's like, oh, let's buy a house, rehab it, sell it, you know, a couple months later for 50% more than we paid and make money that way. Easier said than done, but it's the same exact analogy as, you know, can we make, can we buy this, hold it for a short period and sell it to someone else for more than we paid? That's all it is. Yep, exactly. I think that we have one other example that we wanted to go through here of uh, one that where it doesn't really match up, like what people are paying for stock versus like how much profit a company is making and things like that. But it's a completely different type of example. So the second one we're going to talk about is the IPO of Beyond Meat in May of 2019. So for an IPO, which is an initial public offering, this is the first time that stock is available on a publicly traded market for someone to buy of a specific company. Usually when this happens, there's a target price that's set. Like we think that this company is worth this dollar per share and then they list it and then the stock price goes up or down. Like does the market as a whole think that this prop, like this company is worth more or less dollars per share than they estimated. And then when uh, Beyond Meat went into the market, it was set at $25 per share. That was the target price from the company. And when it was listed, the stock actually shot through the roof. Like throughout the day, it kept going up and up and up. And there was a 163% increase immediately. So that first day, the stock price closed at almost $66 per share. People were excited. Like this was the first time that we were seeing this fake meat, which was really exciting to people for lots of different reasons. Like either they thought it was better for their health. They thought the technology was really cool. They thought that, you know, this was a 
big deal for environmentalism. And there are lots of people who have really strong convictions about the environment and what we should be doing for the environment. So there were people that wanted to take part in this stock because of the technology. There were people that thought that, you know, maybe they wanted to move away from a meat-based diet. Maybe they were really excited about the environmental implications. There were so many different people that were buying this stock for lots and lots and lots of different reasons. But everyone was excited about it. And I had clients who wanted to invest in the stock because they believed in the mission. But it's not necessarily a good reason to buy a share of stock. <laughs> well, and there's Which, also, I think, the subset of people yeah. like with the GameStop one that yeah. are buying it because they think those people are going to be wanting to pay more, the environmentalists, the vegetarians, etc. Um, so you have that pool of people coming in to try and make a quick buck as well. And the price actually peaked in July of 2019. So, you know, two months later at $235 a share. So, so far above and beyond what the target price was. And the target price was driven by numbers and, you know, analyzing potential profits and all of these kinds of things. The share price that it, that it reached had nothing to do with that, like zero to do with that. Now... In October of 2023, when we're recording this, it's trading at a little over $8 a share. So everyone that bought this company because they believed in the mission, like I think those folks kind of lost in this particular scenario if they held on to their stock long enough because, you know, some things happened that Beyond Meat couldn't necessarily control and that individual retail investors obviously couldn't control as well. But, you know, they may have been the first company with some brand name recognition that was demonstrating this technology, but they are definitely not the only one at this point. Maybe not even the best one, which is obviously, you know, an opinion, not, not a fact. But there's lots of different companies that are out there that are doing the same things. And it's a, it's a good way to demonstrate just that the first company that does something may not always be the most successful company at doing that. And I think that can be true across the board, especially with technological advances. Like just because it's the first company that did it doesn't mean it's going to be the company that does it the best. So we can be really excited about new technologies, but not necessarily put all of our, our money, all of our you know, hopes and dreams into this one company being really successful. Um, yeah, so I think it's definitely something to consider. We don't want to get too excited about new technology. Obviously, we should be excited about it, but maybe not with our money. Maybe we can play around with a little bit of money and not, not put too many resources towards examples like that. Well, and success and best, and like these are all subjective terms. Like how are we defining what the best company is or what the most successful company is? Is it that? that who makes the best product? Is it who makes the most flavorful plant-based meat? Is it who has the most efficient business operation that can, you know, keep their overhead costs low and, cr and crank out profits? Maybe not the highest quality product, but you know, a okay product and they can make a lot of money on it. Like a lot, a lot of subjectivity here on how, you know, who's, when it comes to you know, what, what, what product or service is the quote unquote best. And does that translate to company profits and company longevity and staying power within that industry? So a lot of, uh, a lot to think about here and, and a lot of, and this is one of the big reasons why, you know, all these variables, why we don't really recommend investing in individual stocks to our clients. Cause you just don't 
no, there is so much out there. And if you look at the data, you know, the average stock return over time, like if you look at, you know, the aggregate of all the individual stocks out there that have traded publicly over time, you know, what the average return of them is, it's like half of what the actual stock market index return is. So if you just buy the entire index, like odds are you're probably going to get almost double the returns of trying to buy individual stocks. Um, just because companies lose slavery, go out of business, merge, get acquired, um, go bankrupt, whatever. Um, you know, and, and then new companies come in and replace them. So you know, owning the the whole market, you know, allows you to participate in the winners, but also you know, you're not overly exposed to the losers either. Yeah, because figuring out the appropriate price for a stock, it's not simple. It's not predictable. So, and and even when you think you have an advantage, mm -hmm. someone else has a, a bigger advantage. As a retail investor, you just don't have the biggest advantage out there. You just don't. So in summary, I think, you know, this price is a combination of things like company earnings and investor expectations. And humans are investors. Humans have feelings and emotions. And that makes this less predictable. It's not like physics. It's not like math. You know, like <laughs> NASA can launch a rover to Mars and calculate within the hour when it will land. As long as you have all the correct formulas, all the correct data, you know, they can launch a giant space telescope with like 900 failure points and still get it into space because they have math on their side. And, you know, even in those scenarios, they can potentially have a failure. But this is not like that. This is not just math. There's a, a famous physicist, Richard, Richard Feynman. Corey looked up this quote, but imagine how much harder physics would be if electrons had feelings. And they don't, luckily, or else we'd be in trouble. But <laughs> but we do, and like we're the ones buying and selling all of these stocks. So we can talk all day about the valuation of stock purchases, and I think it's helpful to understand those things. But when you introduce human nature, all bets are off. Like we're not going to automatically be able to know if something is a good price point, basically. Yeah, it's difficult. Um yeah, when you're investing in individual stocks, you're, you're, the price is where the buyers and sellers uh, meet. And, um, you know, that, that can change, like, you know, change with humans' feelings, change by the day, change with the wind. Um, the institutional, you know, companies or, you know, the big banks out there, they're buying millions and even billions of dollars uh, of shares where, you know, you're buying pennies worth essentially in, in retrospect. So like it, it, you don't really have much control over what a stock value is going to be unless you hype up an internet forum, in which case you'll end up in jail if you're pumping up a stock price. So don't do that. Um, but, uh, you know, it can be fun. I, I'm, I am a hundred percent on board with investing in stocks for fun. You know, you got an itch, you want to scratch it. Let's, let's, you know, throw a couple bucks in this company and see what happens we, for whatever reason, whether, you know, you use their product, you like their technology, you like the service, you, you, you you've got a brother who works there. Um, you want to get on the meme stock craze and you think that you're getting in early and can, you know, sell in a short term for more than you bought it for. Like I'm all for, you know, going to Vegas, having fun in the casino too. Like just be responsible <laughs> with it and, you know, uh, treat it like if you're going to be buying individual stocks and playing that game, yeah, I, I would, I would treat it like a play account and, you know, this is our fun money, but not necessarily our 
long-term investing money. And if you have a diversified portfolio with your long-term investing money, you will own those individual stocks that you are, are thinking might be winners. Um, you know, they'll, they'll only represent, you know, one or 2% of your entire portfolio, but that's, you know, that's all you really need. Um, invest in a little bit of everything and, you know, be patient, let time work its magic. Yep. And investing in like a broadly diversified mutual fund portfolio, it, it might be a little boring, you know, but it's boring because it's less risky, which if we're talking about your retirement money, we probably want to take on a little bit less risk. There's always some risk when we're investing in the stock market. We can't diversify that away. But, you know, evening that risk out a little bit by not putting too much in individual companies is going to be really helpful for most people. Like some people win at this game. Most people don't. And even professionals often lose when they try to play this game. So I think, you know, if you can separate like the fun and the long-term goals, that is a very good idea. Well, that's all, folks. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.